Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Get it straight. Uh, this is the only podcast in the history of humankind where two actual brothers talk about comic books. It's ne- really never happened in any medium, even even in the real world. Um, I'm one of the two brothers who talks about comic books. My name is Will Hines. I'm his brother and therefore the co-host of this podcast, Kevin Hines. And uh, yeah, we talk about comic books really that we like. They tend to be stuff we liked as kids, but uh, we're open to doing anything. And this is season five. Uh, Our last season ended two weeks ago, and we're jumping right back into it here. And we're going to go over Sandman, uh, the Vertigo comics title from um, the early 90s, really. Uh, We're going to go over issue number eight today, which is the first of sort of a hodgepodge of issues that we're going to go over as we talk about this title. I would say a smattering of Sandman. Yeah, a smattering of Sandman. Because we're doing um, that. issue eight. We're going to like do one for each trade, basically, almost. Yeah, just about. I said, uh, Kevin, let me pick this. We both like Sandman, but I think I was a bit more of the fan between the two of us. And so I kind of picked titles I thought would be fun to talk about. We're going to. Yeah, I think yeah. I've only read some of the trades once, which for me is almost, I hate it. Yeah, given how much um, you usually read stuff that you like. Yeah, usually I reread things uh, over and over. Now, some of the trades I've read multiple times, the earlier mm-hmm. ones, um, yeah. and then some of the later ones, I think. I'll, basically, I think I was reading them, and then I stopped, mm-hmm. and then uh, and I would reread the early ones again, but I kind of had stopped reading it. And then at some point, either I got all the trades from you in one of your purges, mm-hmm. or borrowed them or something, and read them all. Okay. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Um, um, well, so. Sandman is a, well, I guess we'll, we'll get into it, but I, I love it. This is one of my all-time favorite comic book series. I've read the trades multiple times. Uh, I've read them maybe not quite a Kevin Hines amount, but a, but a pretty pretty fair high amount. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm excited to talk about it. Have you read this issue that we're covering today before? <laughs> yes. Did you, or did you skip it in your reads? <laughs> I have read it before. Okay, I'm great. laughing because the issue we're doing today is one of, I think, one of the most iconic issues of Sandman. Yeah. One of the most like famous ones. And it's in two, when they, when they collect it into different trades, they put it in two of them. It actually was the first issue of Sandman that I ever got just by coincidence. Oh, wow. So I have like sort of sentimental attachment in addition to it being like an iconic I wonder issue. if, and you probably would have gotten it anyway just because it had enough buzz and everything, but I wonder if you would have been as hooked if you had gotten like issue one or two as your first I wonder, issue. yeah. I don't know. Because this I, issue I, is, uh, uh, I haven't reread issues one through seven for this. Um, I did bad research for this, I guess. Um, yeah. But I don't remember those. I remember those being fine. Oh, no, they're really good. I um, love the first seven issues. But th- this is where Sandman arrives. Today, mm-hmm. In today's issue, his, the voice of the series, I think, fully arrives. Okay. Um, how should we do this, Kevin? Should we just... We should talk, talk a little bit about... Uh, I mean, most people know, but general. not everyone knows. Like, let's talk about what Sandman is. Uh, talk about Neil Gaiman. Okay. So um, this is a comic book series that ran DC Comics, although it was the sort of creation of their little imprint, Vertigo. Not little. They're like significant imprint vertigo but it Kevin wasn't Ol- vertigo when it started i don't think no it was just dc comics but i think it was so successful and popular that it led to the creation of a bunch of titles that were the vertigo titles yeah and sandman along with like uh swamp thing and a few others hellblazer sort of became vertigo 
so retroactively every issue of these titles is sort of considered vertigo but like they weren't there was no imprint at first yeah it's like motown records the early motown records were actually tamla records and then motown got created and they sort of retroactively decided oh those are all motown also yeah um that's a beatles reference right <laughs> ish um <laughs> Beatles were very influenced by those early Tamla records, so I guess kind of. Um, okay, great. Uh, so yeah, Sandman is. Uh, I'm I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, yeah, Sandman is a really unique comic book series. It was hugely popular when it came out, and it still is. Um, although I get the I get the sense that not everybody reads Sandman as much as I sort of imagine that they have. Uh, it, it ran for 75 issues and it stopped. And although there's been a couple of sort of sequels and spinoffs and some of the characters get used a lot. Really, that was it. Like it was 75 issues and that was that's your primary Sandman comics. And so since it's not still running in its main form might be why it's kind of like faded as opposed to like when we talk about Spider-Man, of course, Spider-Man's still going strong and stuff like that. But I do think Sandman and there's like a handful of these comics that just exist or cartoons or TV shows or things that just got people into comic books. Yeah. Uh, like the X-Men animated series, right? Like that got a lot of people into comics, but I wouldn't mm. say current fans, new fans are like, oh, I love that cartoon. They didn't watch yeah. it. Um, and Ultimate Spider-Man is another one of those. And Sandman is definitely something that brought a lot of people into comics or back into comics for sure. Um, it was a it huge, definitely, huge yeah. pull. It was, a, it was a way in for a lot of people that maybe had not been into reading sort of traditional comic books. It had a sort of famously had a 50% male, 50% female readership. That was a statistic that I read a lot. I, I don't even really know if that's true, but it was sort of known to be the thing that girls would read uh, and guys too, I guess. The, the significance of that statistic is it seemed to both, both genders enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just say what it is. We're talking about sort of its, its impact. It is a... Um, a horror slash fantasy series, and it kind of varied from those two genres depending on when you read it, that centers around a character called Morpheus, or he's also known as just Dream, and he is like the godlike ruler of the dream world, and he kind of administers it. And the comic book would sort of be either stories about him and his sort of cosmic adventures as the ruler of a dream dimension, or just as frequently, maybe even more frequently, it would feature other characters whose lives were being affected by their dreams or somebody's dreams. And so Morpheus would intervene at some point. Like a lot of times he is a side character in the story and it featured both long arcs, like eight or nine to, you know, chapter stories. And then also peppered throughout were a lot of like just single issue stories. It felt a lot like an anthology series, like a Twilight Zone or a something where you're like, oh, I wonder what this one's going to be about. Um, it, it had a lot of mythological characters, both real real (laughs) both like from non-comic books like religions and 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 actual mythology of our world and then also superhero characters and obscure horror characters um the writer is neil gaiman uh who has gone on to do tons of stuff uh you might know him from good omens or american gods or neverwhere or the movie what was that movie um coral coraline Mm mm-hmm um, 
but this was his like arrival in the culture. Like I, this is what kind Definitely of his arrival in America, right? Cause he had yeah. been doing British comics before this. Yes, he did. He did the end of, um, Miracle Man after Alan Moore stopped. Mm-hmm. He, um, and, but I don't know if he was well known there. I, I, Sandman is his arrival, I think. Like, well, it's definitely a thing where like he was. Did he do Black Orchard before this or after yes, this? Yes, before. So like that was sort of like his trial run, I think, at DC or something. And then um, they wanted more from him. They knew he was good. Yeah. Because um, I, I know like at the time, like I think he was pitching a more a more connected. Sandman is a legacy character. And DC Comics, there was a Sandman uh, during World War II, and then there was a later Sandman that Jack Kirby sort of superheroized. And the like original one was like a gas mask wearing pulp character mm-hmm. who was a member of the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. And then later on, there was sort of this cape wearing guy who I don't really know much about. Yeah. Um, and he was basically writing like a real, not you know a revitalization of that character a little more directly. I don't know how much more directly. Um, because DC likes like, Oh, like if you're going to make something, use one of our names. Yeah. We already have copyrights for it and everything like mm-hmm. that. Um, but I believe Karen Berger basically said like, you know, you just, all you need to use is the name. <laughs> Don't feel yeah. like you need to connect any other way. Like we trust you to do something cool with this. If you've got an idea. Yeah. Well, he basically invented a whole new character. Not yeah. basically he did. And Use the name only, although he did make references to the old Sandman characters in sort of clever yeah. ways at various times. But And it led the, to a relaunch of at least the Wesley Dodds Justice, uh, Justice Society version because there was a Sandman Mystery Theater launched while this was still going on. Oh, I, I, did, you funny, read I any, did you ever read any of that? I think I read like one or two. I remember Oof, digging it. It's also really good. Matt Wagner wrote it. Guy Davis drew most of it. Mm. It's, uh, it was really fun. Um, I think the last bunch weren't collected, so I maybe haven't read those, but I read like the first 50 or so. It's great. It's really good. Um, do you like it more than regular Sandman? Um, it's probably more my speed. Uh, uh, it's it definitely, uh, uh, it's one of those things where like I enjoy BPRD more than Hellboy, but I recognize that Hellboy is like the cooler, smarter, better comic. Mm-hmm. But like, I like the, you know, I'm just like, I like this action story a little better. Yeah, uh, it's similar to that. It's like uh, mystery theater. I don't have that easily collected, but if I did, I was like, "Oh, that's it's an easier read. It's it's cooler. It's just like four issue mystery, four issue mystery, four issue yeah. mystery." Guy yeah. Davis's art is also great. Yeah, uh, it also has um, more. Um, it, it feels more like a television show. While this feels more like an epic, yeah, series of novels. Uh, Sandman can be very dense. It can be very, uh, there can be a lot going on in the story for you to keep track of. Not always, but a lot of times, um, it, it felt, well, it felt when I was reading it to be a bit more adult than other sort of comic yeah, books, both sure. in the subject matter. And also just like the way that it told the story, it sort of did not always spoon feed to you what was going on. And, um, the plots of Sandman, I actually often forget. It's very similar to Watchmen in this way, and that I remember the characters and their personalities and their stories more than I do the actions of the plots. Like, I often don't remember how Sandman arcs end, even though I've read them several times. Like, the resolution of the story is irrelevant to me. Definitely when it first started as a kid, because I remember you trying to get me to read it a number of times, 
and some arcs I had really enjoyed, and then some arcs just felt so, there was just so many words. Yeah, which is such a lame thing because I like I do read books, but I'd be like, yeah, it's all words. Yeah, uh, this is not why I read comic books. Yeah, and it would it would it would just shut me off a little bit, and then some of them I would love, and 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 it seemed to. Uh, it depended on the storyline and the style of that storyline, what Neil Gaiman would do. But sometimes I just felt like, oh, this feels so dense. When I read it later on in my 30s, probably or tw- late 20s, uh, I was like, I just read through all of it and enjoyed all of it. Yeah. But definitely in my like preteen age or whatever it was when this first started, uh, or maybe I was like early teens, it was a lot. Yeah. Well, I started reading it in 1989. So I was 19, so you would have been 14. 14, yeah. Um, or, you know, depending on what time of the year it was, I forget, but somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um, yeah, it's, um, well, it really got me good. I, I, the way I got into it was I had been reading, I, I, this is kind of a weird thing. I walked into whatever the comic book store was on main street, Danbury, right by the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? I do. Um, but it changed ownership, I think after this, cause it became more of a hobby shop eventually. Okay. I think I was actually told by our regular comic book shop and even friends of mine that this place was kind of like shady that not shady, but like oh, wait, the, the main street one, the, I was thinking of the one on North street. This is great content for people who aren't from Danbury. <laughs> I was thinking of the one from North street Plaza. There was no, one there that was street. very, uh, yes, I do remember. Cause you'd go to, we'd go to that one when waiting to go to a movie. Right. Um, the guy there would like, he, he was big on like selling back issues according to what the comic book price guide was. But I think he published his own price guide and he kind of would try to like, I don't know, like mark up these old books by like a buck or like the world's dumbest, lowest rent scam of kids, but like squeeze a buck or two out of you or something. But I walked in there once and just, and I was 18 or something and I, and I was getting like bored of superhero comics and I was getting into like, I was into love and rockets already. Maybe not bored, but I don't know. I had just read a lot of comics and I was spoiled by like Watchmen and Dark Knight and stuff. And this is, yeah, 89. So this is like three years after that big mid 80s explosion of great stuff. And I just walked up to a guy in the store. I might have known him from high school. I think I, and I was like, hey, what's the big, what's the next big thing? Like, what's going to be the next Dark Knight or Watchmen? Like, just what is it? He's like, washing machines. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he had an answer. He's like, Sandman. It's going to be Sandman. I was like, never heard of it. He's like, I think you'd really dig it. He's like, everybody's buying it. It seems really interesting. And I walked over to the rack and I bought issue eight and I read it and I was like, he's right. This is terrific. And I loved every issue I got after that. (laughs) Like, it's one of the most successful recommendations by a clerk I've ever had. Despite it being kind of dense and kind of wordy like Kevin says. I think what it has going for it is that compared to a superhero comic, it's relatively self-contained. Like there's not decades of back history Mm -hmm. and it does a pretty good job of having just like good openers and hooks. And I don't think you feel left out. Sometimes you do, but you often do not feel left out reading a Sandman, especially if you start at the beginning of an arc. You're you're in on it, and and you're you're in, the whole thing is pretty self-contained. Yeah, and I'm just say this issue you're about to cover, issue eight, is not overly wordy. This is a pretty this is an easy no. read. Um, it's good, and yeah. One of the funny one of the things about Sandman in general, and it's definitely it's definitely on display in the issue we're about to talk about. It's like a common like Neil Gaiman thing is sort of like what if we took a cosmic figure, be it a Norse myth 
or a superhero or a made up Neil Gaiman cosmic character and had them hanging out like an everyday person. Like what is Lucifer like at his day job playing piano in a lounge in a nightclub? Mm-hmm. What is Thor like when he's hungover? Um, that's it's it's partly funny and partly like just kind of making these heady stories accessible. But that's kind of like the fun of Sandman. It's not the only thing that happens, but it's one of the things. It's a pretty common like I don't know trope, I guess, of the series. And I'm always down for it. I love it. There's a lot yeah. of like casual hanging out with cosmic people. I mean, it certainly works in this, and I I got to assume it's been. Done, I mean, to spoil it a little bit, it's not like we are. We can spoil the issues we're about to talk in depth about. But this issue features death. Yeah. Um, the concept of death, and I mean, it's definitely been done since. I got to imagine it had been done before, like a casual death. But it, yeah, de- it, it feels like one of the earlier successful iterations of that. We meet death in this issue, and we've just had seven issues of Dream, which I might talk a little bit about. But we had seven issues of Dream and just fighting battles and having sort of horror stories centered around the character of Dream. But then we, in this issue, we meet death and find out that death is also a person, and it is his sister. And she's like a cute goth chick who's like really happy and loves life. And soon he reveals that there's a whole family called the Endless, whose names all begin with D, that each like run different aspects of reality. And all of their personalities are the opposite of what they run. Dream, which should be like fanciful and whimsical, is a very serious, dour, responsible fellow. Death is full of life and perky. Desire is malicious and mean. Despair is kind of warm and empathetic. Destruction just loves to create stuff. They're all like deliberately very opposite, which is also very Neil Gaiman. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, but you didn't think they'd act like this or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we meet death in this issue and it's a, she's a blast. She's like super, I think in a way she's more popular than dream, like as a character. Like I mean, she's he definitely, he did a mini series about just her, right? Or at least, at least two, one. Two miniseries. I feel like she's the hit character besides dream in sure. the whole Sandman series. She definitely feels like the one that, people are going to more likely cosplay as or um, get tattoos of or uh, draw fan art of. Yeah. Um, I mean, they probably all have a little bit of that, but I feel like she's got to be tops in all those categories. Before we get into the issue, I'm going to really quickly tell you the first seven, not like in a plot summary way, but just like where the series, I'm going to kind of try to explain why issue eight was such a This is sort of like a previously on the Sandman. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, because he's establishing this whole world of this dream lord. But the first seven issues are basically revealed that the Sandman was captured for a hundred years by a warlock in England and kept in like a glass dome in the basement. They were trying to catch death to become immortal and they screwed up and they got dream because they did the spell wrong. And they kidnap him and for a hundred years dreams are like screwed up in the real world because he's not there to run things. And, And they've got him captured. And then in the, in the first issue, they one of the guards screws up and, like, steps on the pentagram circle, and it they wipe part of it clear, which lets him get free. And then the seven issues are him reclaiming his world. He's been weakened. He, has, he defeats them. Then he goes back and sees what's happened to his realm, and we meet a lot of his, like, associates. 
and people have stolen a lot of his magical items. And so he's going and retrieving them. And so the first seven issues are basically like seven fights of Sandman reclaiming his power. And we meet all these like characters and stories and they're all, they're all kind of horrific and gruesome. It's more horror oriented at first. And, and I love it. It's really fun. It's also more connected to the DC universe. Uh, I mean, Constantine's in it, which he's vertigo, though he wasn't quite at this point, but also like Dr. Destiny is in it, right? Yes. Uh, And he is a DC villain, a a super justice league villain. And then also, I think, like, uh, the New Gods, um, Mr. Miracle shows up, or there's, like, little bits of that and thrown mm-hmm. in there and stuff. Like, there's references to DC characters a lot more throughout these. There's a tiny bit of that afterwards, but it's it's much, much more infrequent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a little bit more integrated with the DC universe in these first seven issues. Though Dream, the, the uh, Dream, event, uh, uh, Daniel Dream... Uh, for this is more distracted just for will everyone else listening don't pay attention <laughs> to this shows up in jla with neil Gaiman's permission oh i love it and there's um, like a story where he shows up i mean neil is a comic book nerd like he yeah. has deep knowledge of like old comics like even though he's sort of much more known as just a fantasy writer and just I mean, an author but it like probably he's a that, comic book nerd it probably helped that grant morrison was the guy writing it you know yeah like those guys are um, I assume friendly another british yeah. Fantasy oriented guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this issue that we're about to read is kind of like, we've just finished this sort of epic, like tour of cosmic figures, violent horror stories. And then this is going to be this, this has a gruesome elements and kind of sad elements, but is the, it is basically a conversation between a brother and a sister. Yeah. It feels more like a short story versus the other ones, more like a movie or a, a, yeah. a television show. So this is called, this is issue eight. This is called the sound. Should we even take a break? I just took so long to set it up. I was thinking, do we take a break before we even get into the issue? Let me tell a little story and then we'll take a break. Okay. So like I do, I do comedy stuff and I do improv on this podcast called Comedy Bang Bang. And I bring it up because I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast heard about this because I've plugged it on Comedy Bang Bang. Maybe not a lot, but there's like some segment of our listenership. And um, me doing Comedy Bang Bang is a weird like, I'm not like a good character actor like that. That podcast features a lot of comedians who are like really good at voices and like, you know, doing personalities and characters. And I'm a guy who's always just kind of been himself. It's whatever this convoluted story. My friends run Hollywood Handbook. They had me as a guest the same time that Scott Ackerman, the host of Comedy Bang Bang, was on that introduced me to him and he's like oh you should come do comedy bang bang sometime and i was like does he know that i don't do characters and so i got invited on i actually called you kevin right before i did it the first time because i was so nervous yeah i remember and i was just like oh here's my character i don't know what i'm gonna do i had like a couple choices and you helped me pick one i don't even think that went well but for whatever reason i started getting invited back and i always had a good time i loved it and scotchily nice and everyone who does it is nice but i would always kind of be like you know really like shrugging my shoulders like well i don't know if this is gonna work and i'd have a different character every time and i was like i and most people have like a small arsenal of characters they do again and again but i would do somebody different every time because i they weren't worth bringing back i would like <laughs> yes and them into insanity and it'd be like well they're not even usable now <laughs> i just decided that my thing was this is advice john gabris gave me uh, he might not own up to this but he was like just do a voice and say yes to everything i asked john gabris he says he's never spoken to you okay well i guess that's maybe 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 i'm making this up 
<laughs> so I, I mostly would just have fun yes-anding these characters. And I, yeah, yes-anding characters, saying yes to everything. They would become insane. It was I loved it. But I was like, no, I want a character that I can do more than once. And I was reading Sandman comics one morning. And I was like, Sandman would be a funny character. Like, what? he's very serious and weird. And I know everything about him. Maybe I'll just do him. So I was driving to Earwolf to be in Bang. I was like, I'll just do Morpheus. I'll just steal it. I'll just say I'm Lord Morpheus, Lord of the Dream. I'll copy all the specific. Because some people do like, re- they'll, you know, like Paul Tompkins will do Andrew Lloyd Webber. And mm-hmm. Mike Hanford does John Lennon, and they'll borrow the specifics from the real life. And I was like, oh, why can't I just borrow an intellectual property <laughs> yeah. named Sandman? I don't there know. You go. Luckily, I got some of the details wrong, so maybe that protects the <laughs> yeah, yeah. copyright it keeps claim. keeps it firmly in parody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and really, it was like not like a hit episode, but like it went well, and I ended up doing them like six times or something. Oh, wow. I didn't know you did it that many. Yeah. I mean, Morpheus, um, I knew you did comedy Bang Bang a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I think in a weird way, I've never been one of the like number one top level people who does bang bang. I've sort of been in the solid second tier of recurring uh, improvisers, which I'm happy to. But I think Morpheus is the closest I've come to a guy that I'm like known for. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our emails, just, one of our emails, uh, somebody's asking about that. Uh, Dan uh, Clayson emailed and said, uh, blah, 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 blah. Hoping Will does the episodes as his version of Morpheus that I heard on a little indie cast that doesn't get much play called uh, Comedy Bang Bang. Ever heard of it? Um, so at least one one of our email readers doesn't just like the character, wants you to be that character full time. I mean, I, I love doing Morpheus. Uh, Scott Scott Ackerman is also a big comic book nerd. I mean, he's written like Spider-Man and Deadpool and stuff and has like a huge, he is just like your classic type a nerd he's got like a vault of comics and been on our been on this podcast and been on this podcast yeah and um so i knew that he would enjoy it and uh, i knew that he'd be able to play with it that he would have enough like working knowledge to like specifically have fun with morpheus and um so i don't know like i kind of have sandman to thank for helping establish my place in this podcast i really like doing but and of course kevin i blew it like i came in trying to do like a voice which I I stopped doing like four sentences in because mm-hmm. I can't do voices. I kept trying to always do this like what I imagined the Sandman's voice to be, and I blew it. I would get specifics wrong. At some point, somebody asked me who my girlfriend was, and Sandman dated a character named Thessaly, who's a witch. That's like canon, but I could not come up with her name. And things things like this haunt me at night. So what did you uh, say? I think I said I didn't. I wasn't dating anybody right now. <laughs> sort of true. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I think I said I was dating a witch woman and I said her name was Neptuna or something. I couldn't come up with Yeah, Thessaly. so you made up a new name. Yeah. Should have gone way um, wrong, just been like, Karen. <laughs> I know. I, you know what? I should have. That is the kind of stuff I think about when I'm like, why didn't I say Karen? That would have been yeah. funnier. The Karen is um, uh, now overused as a, a surname, but something like that. I don't know. I do. I dearly love Sandman and I, um, I was extremely well prepared for relative to my usual bang bang appearances to do Morpheus. Um, and it was really fun. I think I forget. I think Adomian was James Adomian, who's like a superstar on that show, was a guest on one of them. And I don't know. Everybody I've ever done that show with is like always ready to roll with anything. So I've had a good time. Yeah, I ended up. I did him so much I had to stop. I was like, I feel like I've I've used all my jokes. I got to like take a break from this guy. I might bring him back though. Maybe now. Maybe you. Maybe, maybe this podcast will reinvigorate the character. Yeah. Maybe I'll start doing it. Talk about comic books as Morpheus. Yeah. There you go. That's the demand is in from one email. <laughs> anyway. Um, Let's take a break. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back uh, to actually cover the issue that yeah, this podcast is supposed to be. We're only I'll like try to, I'll try 30 to do minutes a little faster. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so this is issue eight. It's called The Sounder for Wings. Kevin, Before what do you think we get into this issue, All right. a little background. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I have no way to delay this any further. Let's get into it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, The Sound of Her Wings. What do you think of the cover? Um, I mean, all the covers for this uh, series are so trippy and cool, right? Are they all Dave McKeon? Yes, he did the cover of every single issue. Um, The the artist on the inside would change a lot, but he did all the covers. And they're so beautiful. They're often like paintings and watercolors and collages. They're they're artistically very... uh, Unique compared to your standard superhero comic cover. Yeah, this one is, uh, sort of looks like a painting of death. Um, not quite how she appears in the comic, uh, but similar. She's sort of in shadow, so you can't quite make her out. Maybe he hadn't. Maybe he did this so far in advance, he didn't know what she'd look like. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, she's sort of surrounded by these like two poles with like ivy growing on it. But those look like uh, like a photograph almost. Yes. Like they're almost three D. The the mm-hmm. leaves. Uh, and then behind her sort of looks like maybe wings. Yeah, like you know, the the name of the issue is Sound of Her Wings, so maybe there's angel wings behind her. Yeah. She's a bit androgynous. She could be either a woman or a man here, really. Yeah, there's enough shadows that there's a lot going on, which she probably can't appear either way, right? Yes. That's one of the things with uh, not really shown in this issue, but the endless appear to you differently depending on who you are. Depending on your culture and your expectations and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're all they're all sort of by gender. Um, but she's, she's drawn in the comic usually as goth chick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the first page is a splash page, which shows dream sitting, uh, in Paris near, or is it Washington square park? I think it's Washington square park, but yeah, I New York city. Wa- don't yeah, know. I don't know. I said, but, uh, unless, uh, it's, unless, Washington, it's Washington square park. Yeah, unless the that arch. arch exists elsewhere. I mean, it could. It's. I'm dumb enough that anytime there's a big arch, I don't know if it's the Arc de Triomphe in Paris or the. Yeah. But this is no. This is the Washington Square Arch. So he's sitting in uh, Greenwich Village, New York City. Dream, who is this like tall, thin, looks like the lead singer of the Cure, Robert Smith. This kind of lanky, white skin. Uh, he's got a leather jacket and black jeans, which is kind of the aesthetic of a lot of characters in Sandman. There's a kid in the background playing soccer, and he's just feeding pigeons. And um, it's just a the it's the next page is just the pigeons fluttering sounds of the pigeons. We, we should wings. say that the artist for this comic is Mike uh, Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones the third. Because they change every issue, we, we can't even just assume you know who the artists are. Oh, that's right. Um, so Mike Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones the third, who I don't really know much about. I think they, they did a bunch of the early Sandman issues, so they really defined the look. Mm-hmm. Sam um, Keith did the first few issues. Yeah, and then it's, and it's always said Sandman is created by 
uh, Neil Gaiman, Dave McKeon, and Sam Keith. Like they're all credited as co-creators, even though Neil is the clear mastermind of yeah. Sandman. And Stanley gets a little. And I think he deserves Stanley a little somehow credit. got in there. I don't know how. Yeah. yeah. Steve Ditko should be credited. <laughs> so the second page is just these pigeons are flapping. It's maybe referring somehow to the title, The Sound of Her Wings. And this kid playing soccer, we see a soccer ball zipping at Sandman's head. And without even looking at it, he lifts up a hand and just catches it. Very Spider-Man of him. Very Steve Ditko. I think you're right. Steve Ditko maybe did have a hand in this. Yeah, he probably should be. He was still alive. He should be credited. Yeah. Um, and so like... Dream hanging out and like catching a soccer ball and throwing it back to a human is very Neil Gaiman, like just like the mundane activity of a cosmic figure. Um, we see the kids saying that was a killer catch, man. Totally wicked. Can I have the ball back? Hmm. Oh, this here. And Dream is very like Spock and Data, very like robot, very dry always. Yes. Like a bit removed from the situation. I mean, he was captured for a hundred years. Maybe that has something to do with it. He, but he's always very moody. Like, I, this was a very emo comic. Yeah. Like, Dream is always kind of moping around. He's always sad. He's always, you always picture him listening to the Smiths or something. Um, uh, he punts the soccer ball back to the kid. Uh, the kid invites him to play soccer. Which would be so funny to see Dream play yeah. soccer. It's also, I mean, I get the feeling that Sandman is older than this kid. It feels weird to invite someone that much older than you to play soccer. But maybe I'm he, ageist. He's thousands of years old, I believe. Yeah, But um, he appears... Uh, this kid appears oh. like in his teens and Sandman appears in his thirties, early thirties. Yeah. So I'm going to say 29. Okay. But, um, then it's not so weird. Then up walks death, but we don't know it's death yet. We just see that up walks this woman who's like, looks like Susie and the Banshee style goth with like a, uh, leather pants and her little death necklace around her thing. And she's smiling and she says, what are you doing? And he says, feeding the pigeons. But they're both completely white skinned, sewing. Like, she definitely seems related to him, at least in concept. Though her word balloons are normal word balloons, while his word balloons are sort of these inverse white lettering on black splotches. Right. So his seem very dreary and grim, and, and hers are already like kind of bright and happy. Right away, she tells a Mary Poppins joke. Yeah. He goes feeding the pigeon. She's like, You do that too much. You know what you get? Fat pigeons. That's a line from Mary Poppins, which sort of. Right, establishes her as this, like, perky, high-energy person right away. Just saying, what this comic is great at. I'm just saying we're four pages in, and really the only thing Neil Gaiman has done here is lifted a joke from Mary Poppins. He's, might be, he's maybe not that great is what I we're mean, saying. I mean, I could do this. I could lift a joke. Sandman is easy and not that good. Yeah. Exactly. Not um, on the same page. So they begin talking, and it turns out that, I'll just try to, because we've spent so much time on the setup, that Sandman is depressed. And his sister, Death, has come to, like, check on him, just like siblings. Kevin and I would do this. You know, I'd be sitting in Washington Square Park feeding pigeons. Kevin would come up dressed like a goth girl and just ask me what was wrong. Yeah, that's, in fact, this seems lifted from our life. Uh, there's a pigeon sitting on Sandman's head on page five. One, two, um, three, four, five. When she's saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, uh, there's a pigeon on his head. Yeah. There's a lot of like humor and whimsy in these books that yeah. I think is really funny. Basically, it, he reveals that because of the adventures of the first seven issues, being captured for a hundred years, yeah, yeah. fighting all these villains, he's like depressed. He's uh -huh. bummed. He feels empty. He's he's back on top, but he's like sad. He he doesn't know what to do next. Yeah. Um. 
And this is another thing I really love about. So he he does a couple pages of complaining, and it also serves to catch you, the reader, up on what has happened. A yeah. thing that Sandman comics will do less and less as the series goes on. Uh, and then on this next page, it's like this very. Th- this next page, I think, is where Sandman comics arrives. Up until this point, we've had a lot of the pieces in place: horror stories, uh, literature, uh, references to mythology and literature great characters um a fully realized world but the humanity that death shows to dream and the humor and treating him just like a mopey older brother is the final like piece of the puzzle and he's complained and she's first of all is very sweet you could have called me you know i didn't want to worry you i don't believe it let me tell you something dream and i'm only going to say this once so you better pay attention and then yells at him you are utterly the stupidest most self-centered appallingest excuse for an anthropomorphic personification on this or any other plane an infantile adolescent pathetic specimen feeling sorry for yourself because your little game is over and you haven't got the balls to go and find a new one and then slaps him on the head with a loaf of bread yeah, he seems really cowed by it. His He's like completely like, surprised. He's like, yeah. oh my, what am I getting yelled at for? I mean, and it is he is so all powerful f- in his realm, so it's probably rare when anyone stands up to him like this. Yes. Right, yeah, he's the king of the dream world and he has like godlike powers and like can travel anywhere in an instant. And she lops him with a So I don't know, like if <laughs> a lot of people like to make fun of Sandman comics and you can kind of make fun of her being like very cutesy and very sort of like fay. Uh, Peter Bagg, who did hate comics and Buddy Bradley draws a comic book convention where Neil Gaiman comes and reads and kind of makes fun of Sandman fans and Neil Gaiman. And it's really funny actually, mm-hmm. but like, and these things are true. It is kind of like cutesy and sentimental, but not cutesy, but like there's there's something a bit like sweet about Sandman comics that is in deep contrast to the horrific things that happen, which is part of the fun. It definitely the relationship between dream and death is great. They yes, are very she close. Is his, she is his big sister and they have a big sister, little brother type of relationship. They're the closest of all the endless siblings. She's close. He's closest to her than to anybody, although he kind of hangs out with delirium a lot by the end. And uh, it's really fun. I mean, it sucks me right in. Like, it's that joke. You were the, whatever, the most self-centered excuse for an anthropomorphic uh, manifestation or whatever she says is so funny. It's very Monty Python. Uh, Then a soccer ball almost hits death in the head and she catches it the same way Dream does. This is just one of the many abilities the endless have, which is catching balls without looking. Yeah. It's not used too often, but in this book it's used twice. Yeah. And also Um, this kid needs to get better at soccer. This is rude at this point. Uh, yeah, this kid twice has almost hit strangers. And um, so Death has yelled at Dream, and then she's like, look, I got to go do my job. You can come with me or stay here. Mm-hmm. And Dream is like, I'll come with you, I suppose. And this is also very Neil Gaiman, which are these gods going about their activities as if they're like got chores to do. Yeah. But their chores are the management of a realm of reality. And <laughs> at this point, we haven't been told overtly she's Death, right? Oh, that's right. We have not been told that. Um, cause right before they leave, the kid who keeps hitting the soccer ball. First he hits on her. Hits on her. He goes, so, hey, Fox, <laughs> like, uh, you want a soda? Could I see you again? And her response is, sure, Franklin, you'll see me again soon. Which knowing she's death is very ominous, but you don't really know that for sure when you're reading this the first time possibly. Yeah. Though maybe you do know. 
She's got like an onk around her uh, neck. I don't know. I don't know if you know or you don't know when you're reading I think this. you don't know when you read this the first time. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know something's up with her. You yeah. know, like she is some kind of creature. And he's like, okay, hey, how'd you know my name's Franklin? But they have vanished. Yeah. And then what they do so the rest, for the bulk of this issue, really the rest of it, is death goes upon – and her business is ushering people into death. So for the rest of the issue, we are going to see people die, mm-hmm. various ages. Some of them were really, really sad. Some of them less sad. But in all of them, she appears to them at their moment of death and ushers them into the beyond. And she's doing that while she's talking to her brother Dream. And it's really fun, basically. It's like – a fanciful, fun idea for a story. Yeah. Um, the first place they go, there's like a guy like lying on the couch um, playing the fiddle, I guess. Yes. Um, and uh, she says, I know who you are, Harry. Do you know who I am? And his response is, you? No, not yet, please. Yeah, I know who you are. Yeah, he seems to rec- they sometimes recognize that she's death and that it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Jewish. He's playing like a Yiddish song. He's got a yarmulke on his head. And this is one of the things that Neil Gaiman and Sam in comics is so good at as they so good at is they I'm so excited. I'm talking so fast. I'm like so is they create a ton of characters rapidly. Like they'll you'll see a character for one or two pages and have a full grasp of their life. Uh, I'll often remember characters that are only in like one issue of Sandman for years and years or half of an issue. Um, like, and this issue, so here's this, this old guy who's had a life and he's a musician, he's laying on a sofa and he's dead. And so now we see his spirit out of his body, standing with death and dream, looking at his body. It's also an interesting one for the first one because he's old. He's at the end of his life. It's, it's very fitting and, and normal at this point. It's not tragic. Yeah. It's only tragic in the sense that anybody's death is tragic, but yes, this is, you know, but he seems to be at peace. He recognizes that she's death. He's going relatively calmly. Yeah. Um, the next one is somebody on stage at an open mic night, a stand up comic who's doing badly. Yeah. Though it says her last joke kills. I don't buy it because her jokes are really bad. Uh, yeah, there's a number of stand-up comics over the course of Sandman, and they always are bombing. Uh, Neil Gaiman seems fascinated with comics bombing. It's also really hard to write stand-up comedy. <laughs> so, I never have trouble with it. Everything I've ever done in it has killed. But, I mean, it'd be hard to be, like, a great comic book writer yes. and then also write great stand-up jokes within it. I mean, it was the issue with Studio 60, right? It's like, oh, I had to tell, like, a great drama about the behind-the-scenes of SNL, but also write great sketches. yes. And those are two completely different skill sets that, you know, are hard to do at the same time. So, you know, Neil Gaiman can't do a great stand-up set. That actually makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, at least it's something he can't do. Yeah. Um, so this comic is on stage, and is it a he or is she? Yeah, she. And she do- she gets electrocuted or something. Like yeah, the, water like the mic is not grounded or something correctly, or like there's a loose wire. And it's like a weird pun. Her joke is like, hey, Ma Bell, reach out and kill someone. And this deep voice says there's more where that came from. And then she dies. Like the joke lands, but then she dies. Um, it's kind of gruesome. Like, And maybe, maybe this- it lands because they think she's faking being electrocuted or something. Yeah. But yeah, she, I mean, she's fried on stage. It's, it's brutal. Uh, also, why couldn't have I had a few more lousy years? I would have made it to the top. Why? 
Every comic is both pessimistic and optimistic about themselves. And then Death says to her, I'm sorry, Esme, your time was up. Come here, honey. She's always very, Death is always very sweet to the people. And then off camera, they vanish to the next realm and Dream says, I hear the sound of her wings. So there's some sound of wings flapping when these people transfer on. Yeah, that's repeated every time someone is taken to the afterlife And, and Dream never watches either. He looks away. Yeah. Um, and we never see it. It happens off panel. Um, um, and they're talking about their jobs here at the bottom, which I think this is kind of the fun of like a fantasy comic is like, let's get into the nitty gritty of like these fantastical realms. And death is saying to dream, mostly they aren't too keen to see me. They fear the sunless lands, but they enter your realm each night without fear. And then Dream says, and I am far more terrible than you, my sister. One of the things I like about that, those two panels, is that a lot of times you'll read comics or watch television shows and you'll cut from scene to scene to scene and the conversation continues as if you haven't missed a single line of it. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be just like, well, hey, Will, you know what I told her? And then cut to us outside in the car driving. I told her... Did yeah. I not say anything for like the last 20 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> we just silently walked outside. You, you don't think about it a lot of times, but every once in a while when I when it when it's too overt, it bugs me. But this starts yeah. like mid-sentence. We didn't hear the lead up to this. There was some little bit of preamble to this where she's kind of bummed about her job and she's sort of complaining about it, but we didn't hear the beginning of that. Uh, um, I this like next that. page is this I agree. It's one of the, I mean, his conversations and his dialogue, I'm saying Neil Gaiman's are so mm-hmm. good and well drawn. Uh this next page is the most depressing page, maybe in all of Sandman comics, a baby dies. Yeah, it's really sad. Just in its crib, uh the mom is in the kitchen in the background, and then death our death, happy, perky, checking on her little brother, death, picks up this baby in her arms, and the baby says to death, that is that all there was? That all I get? Yes, I'm afraid so. Uh, and then the baby goes, the sound of wings, and the mom comes in and finds the kid dead. I mean, it is, even just looking at it here, it's it's bone-chillingly sad. Yeah, and also the mom doesn't do anything. The mom just lays the baby down, goes to get a bottle, and then comes back. So, that, I mean, there's something just Nothing's happened. gone wrong. Yeah, there was no... There was, yeah, this there kid was, was not was no ignored or, like, or mistreated. There's no accident or, like... Um, that all sad as this is, it is very sort of representative of Sandman comics that it seems to confidently go into dark realms. Like a Sandman comic will talk about like homophobia and, uh, and like, I don't know, like the Holocaust and like the, the tragedy of losing a child, like pretty casually, not cavalierly, not like insensitively, but like, you know, this is a comic I picked up on the rack that some guy on Main Street said, oh, yeah, read this. And it's it was this was making these crazy leaps. I loved it. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, this is obviously sudden infant death syndrome is like a thing yeah. that uh, uh, every like child bed and blanket and everything tells you. It's like, oh, if you baby sleeps this way, it increases the chance of sudden infant death by one yeah. percent or point oh one percent. And it's just like one of those things where it's like. But what that means is something unexplained killed them. We yes. don't know why they, and it's like, well, but when they have these bumpers up, sometimes they die more often. So nobody uses them anymore. When they used to sleep on their stomach that they died more often. So now everyone sleeps on their back. Um, so this is like taps into a real fear of just like, uh, there's nothing you could do. Uh, um, it's, it's brutal. 
It's brutal. Uh, then, then we start seeing a montage. Like, there's a guy who, who looks like middle aged, just like lying back in his office chair. Then there's somebody he face down suicide, in the suicide. I think, right? He took pills because the sto- uh, maybe. Oh, not like EKG. Um, I don't know. It's are these all suicides? Because uh, there's another suicide in three panels. Uh, oh no, there's not. That's a murder. That's a murder. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's unclear. He took a lot of. He was taking pills, or maybe he didn't take his pills in time. No, you're right. That's a suicide. You're right. Um, there's someone who drowned, and, somebody in a hospital bed, somebody who's been shot in the street. And there's like, the, you know, Dream is kind of talking about death as we see this montage. Why do they fear the sunless lands? It is as natural to die as it is to be born. But they fear her, dread her. Feebly, they attempt to placate her. Um, it, and it, And again, this is one of the common tropes of the series is sort of like, personifying these mythological tasks. I don't know. Yeah. I guess if you don't think that's fun, you'll hate this series. Um, but I think it's what a is the, He didn't quote the song. What is the song that he's quoting? Uh, I don't know it. Okay. Uh, many thousands of years ago, I heard a song in a dream, a mortal song oh, that celebrated so it's a dream song. Gift. Never mind. That answers my question. Not a real song. Sometimes, sometimes he will dig those up from old poems, though. You never know when Neil, Neil Gaiman is like making something up out of whole cloth or it's a nugget of something he read mm-hmm. in some mythology book that he's expanding or whatever. Also, and, uh, the, so now this, the oh. guy who got shot, do you see what's written on the wall next to him? Dreams make a promise. Make no promise, I think. Dreams make no promise. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't have a point about that other than it mentions dreams. This is a comic book about dreams. Yeah. Uh, Well, it is, you know, dream is like a sad, dream is more fearsome as a personality than death. Sandman is much less likely to have empathy for people and kind of runs roughshod over people's feelings a lot. And death seems to have way more empathy for the people she's ushering in. Um, so now we end up at the end of the story back at Washington Square Park and Dream seems to feel better. You've taught me something I had forgotten. Thank, I thank you, my sister. And we see Franklin with the soccer ball getting ready to, to kick it and he, the ball goes out in the street. He runs the chase and is hit by a car and dies. Yep, and that's when uh, death sees him again. Um, so what makes him feel better in this? Is it just like getting out of his own world for a moment. I, I, I don't know if it's actually said, but yeah, it's sort of like remembering that, like, look at all this sadness she deals with every day. Look at all the sadness. All of these people are dealing with, like it's part of existence. Like my depression is normal and I just have to go on and I'll be fine. So I think it's something like that. He seems super happy on the last page. Um, it is a little bit sort of out of nowhere and it's not clear what, but I, the gut feeling I have is like his sister checked in on him and he got out of his head a little bit and yeah, just, I don't know. Just seeing her and he didn't call her, right? She just tracked him down. She just tracked him down. Um, yeah, the last page, he's quite happy. There's much to do in my kingdom, much to restore, much to create. But that can wait. I have found the solace I sought, though not in the way I imagined. From dreams I conjure a handful of yellow grain. I throw the grain into the air and I hear it. The sound of wings. It's like feeding the pigeons. Mm-hmm. Um, making them fly away. I don't know. Somehow death cheered him up. Uh, I love it. I love it. I might have just been that Mary Poppins quote. 
that probably was it. He probably yeah. he probably got cheered up on page two, and the rest of the issue was unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's going to go rent Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is like one of the signature issues of the whole series. It it is the arrival of the character of death. That is the arrival of the kind of the sibling family aspect that dream that is a big part of a lot of the stories. It's really fun. Yeah. Uh, before this, it sort of just feels like oh, this is going to be dream. Uh, getting Fighting involved monsters. in other people's lives and like sort of like swamp thing where it's like maybe he's a small part, maybe he's a big part, but they're horror stories where where dream is just running through it. But now yeah. it's like, oh no, there's something else going on here. There's a there's a plot and there's a he is a character. Yeah. The overall story of Dream and um is that he is starts off as this cold, mopey guy who was a ruthless executor of his responsibilities. And then through, after being captured for a hundred years, softens and the 75 issues are him like kind of making amends and, and healing relationships that he had ruined and, and saying he's sorry and make it. And it's, if you are a teenager reading comics, it's moving to see this character reaching out and trying to become more compassionate and empathetic. I mean, it is a brilliant story for, uh, I think, anybody in their teens to read. I mean, anybody. But I think the reason why it was successful with people who maybe were not connecting to, like, Spider-Man mm-hmm. is there is an internal life of a sad person trying to reach out throughout the whole series. And it's, like, really nice. And it ends with him dying. There's, like, a weird thing that is, like, different people can assume the mantle, like, dream never goes away, but different people can occupy that office. And so whoever he is dies at the end of this series. And we see another person, his son take over. Yeah. And that's the Not one that son, shows up heir, in JLA uh, for what it's yeah, worth. Daniel, Daniel also named D. Um, we never find out who Sandman was when he got the job, but, uh, you do find out some of them, like you find out the origins of some of the endless and does, the people that does anyone were. else get replaced throughout this series uh no but it is it is explained that despair was recently replaced before the series starts Mm -hmm. and there is a prequel story where you meet the old despair okay and that's kind of fun and destruction quits his job and there's no replacement because he still exists he just leaves he just won't do it Mm -hmm. anyway it's really fun so i hope you stay with us for weekend we have email to do but um we're going to go over, I forget how many, like seven or eight of these issues. Yeah. Um, I'll have, by this point, have posted it on Instagram. The issues we're planning to cover, though, as always, we might change our mind and add different ones or replace them. Yeah. But, uh, we'll try to keep you apprised of what's next. Um, yeah. I think the And just next- like we say with all of our comics, if you have any opinions on Sandman, I would really love to hear it. And if you've never read it and you do read it because of our podcast, man, we'd really love to hear what you think. And yes, even if you don't like it, for real. We'd be curious to know your thoughts and feelings about about Sandman. The next one we're doing is issue 13. That's the plan, at least, right, Will? Yeah, well, that's that's what we're doing. Uh, and that's in the collection uh, Doll's House. So uh, yes. if, you're, if, you, if you're getting ready for next episode, that's the one to look for, issue 13. Uh, thanks. Yeah. And Kevin, thanks so much for agreeing to do this. No problem. You guys got me, uh, my brothers, Kevin and my other brother, got me. A, you got me a T-shirt once, a Sandman T-shirt, when I was like 19 um, for Christmas or something, and I still have it. Why aren't you wearing it right now? You didn't like it? I should it? have worn it. You didn't I should like have it? worn it. <laughs> this is your way of telling me you didn't like that gift? Fine. All right. All right. <laughs> Message received. 
Uh, we have a ton of emails, Will. Uh, well, let's get through a few of them. All right. Uh, let me see if there's anything else in this one I was just reading earlier from Dan Klassen, who is a big fan of your Morpheus character. Thank you, Dan. Um, uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, he was loving our Batman stuff. He said for Sandman, want you to do it as Morpheus. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't include a question here, and I think I have one that could be fun. In an alternate universe in 1966, the producers of a brand new Batman television series have landed not on Adam West and Burt Ward, but the Beatles as the heroes and the Rolling Stones as the rogues. <laughs> in this alternate reality, the premise and madcap style of the Batman 66 TV show will be the same, but with members of those bands playing the main roles. Uh, so who do you cast, Will? I'm going to make you do all of this. Um, Batman, Robin, Alfred, and Commissioner Gordon are the Beatles. Okay, and okay. So the fictional characters. For the Rolling Stones. All right. Um, Robin is Ringo. Um, Batman is John Lennon. Um, Chief O'Hara is George. And the commissioner is Paul. Uh, what, no, Alfred? Oh, Alfred. Um, Alfred is George. No uh-huh. question. Yeah, there's no way Paul's going to be Alfred. Um, Batman's John. I guess Robin should be Paul. Robin is Paul. Paul would hate that. <laughs> and uh, Alfred's George. And who's Ringo? Uh, no, Robin is Ringo. Robin has to be Ringo. Sorry, Paul is <laughs> Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> That's a fun role for Paul. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's able to administer and get stuff done. He's more responsible. <laughs> Great. Um, do you want to give some villains to the Rolling Stones? Okay, Mick Jagger is the Joker, of course. Uh, Keith Richards is the Penguin. Um Charlie Watts is King Tut. Uh, <laughs> Bill Wyman, the original bass player, is um, the Mad Hatter. And uh, Ron Wood is um, Catwoman. Great. Uh, good job, Wait, Will. Keith Richards is Catwoman. Ron Wood is whoever I said Keith Richards was. Penguin. Okay. Um, I think you did it perfectly. Yeah. I would have no I'm chance. I'm already wanting to change it, but I'll, I'll stay with it. The Beatles one sounded right to me. You know, it's the Rolling Stones I want to change. Really, Mick should be Catwoman, and Keith is the Joker. No, Mick's the Joker, right? Mick's, Mick's the I mean, Joker. Mick's got the smile for it, right? Yeah. Uh, Mick's the Joker. Keith is Catwoman. Keith would be a sexy Catwoman. I think that's all right. Yeah. Uh, you got to have Catwoman in there. Uh, it's unfortunate that both these bands are all male. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Dan. That's a fun question. Uh, we have our Benjamin Ordung question of the episode. Right. History. History context, the point. <laughs> History. As stated before in a previous email, when I started reading Spider-Man, I was a 13-year-old math and science nerd with plenty of bullies and personal hardships. Spider-Man and comics spoke to me and I gobbled them up. I wasn't a ladies' man or popular. Even my friends weren't into comics. Context. I'm still working through your season two run with the Fantastic Four. I'm not sensing the same love as I got from Spider-Man, so I'm hoping that you aren't podcasting under duress. Is this a cry for help? Are you guys okay? To the point. Okay, I get it. It's 2018 and you were woke. I don't know what this is a reference to. Uh, Your constant comments of Spider-Man comics portrayal of women and then the uh, every issue comments of the use of invisible girl woman are noted. I get it. I'm a husband and father of a little girl, so answer me this. Considering Mm -hmm. the comics and the in question are from the 60s prior to the women's movement in the late 60s mm-hmm. and 70s 
Would they have survived the industry if they'd been written with better, more modern women representation, or would they have died to the closed-minded masses who bought comics? Were the writers giving their fan base young men something to latch onto, and then allowing their stories to evolve with the times? Um, yeah, people really don't like woke comments, or there there is a type of person that really blanches that, like, oh. Who are you trying to impress? Right? I don't. I don't quite know where it comes. Yeah, from, and I don't think that's like, necessarily what he's intending there. I think he's just more like you guys mentioned this a lot. Do you think these comics would have worked if they yeah, were? Yeah, I do. Like, because because we're not saying that she has to be like, you know, the most successful, just a better character. Yeah, like just even like and we said this when we went through the issues. Crystal was like a better character than the Invisible Woman in those issues. That that would have been the a step Yeah. Up. yeah. Uh, I I agree. I think there w- would not have hurt the comics at all. Maybe it would have if it was like, maybe they wouldn't. It have was sold really if it, preachy, if it, preachy, and like rubbing your face and like having an agenda in a clear way. I could see that doing something, but that's not what we're asking. I can't. For. I can't say. Also, maybe it wouldn't work if it was like three women and one men. You know, like if if the if the breakdown of it was better half and half. You know, if half the Avengers were women. Um. But I think it wouldn't. I think it wouldn't have mattered if uh, the characters were of different diversity and the women were written better. I don't think any of that would have hurt the comics. They were written well, and that's what made these things sell, right? Yeah. If uh, if Spider Man was African American, I don't think that hurts the comic. Um, uh, that much. I don't think so. Maybe I don't a little so bit. Either. Maybe a little bit. I don't know for sure, but maybe it makes given it the huge. context of the time that would you'd have to address some things, I yeah. guess. But, I mean, um, Stanley wouldn't be able to write that as well. <laughs> That'd be the yeah. downside to that. Um, but uh, I don't think it would have as big as impact as someone. And I definitely did. don't like, think the gender stuff would. I think that it would only make it better. Yeah, and also just like the flip side of saying the same thing is increasing the representation wouldn't matter if the characters were bad. Like we're saying, right. like. Like the thing is the best character on the Fantastic Four. He is the most fully realized, mm-hmm. fleshed out personality. Um, and then probably the torch next, and then Reed. You know, we could switch those. But yeah. like Sue is just there's nothing about her except for shopping and wigs. Like she just doesn't have anything going on. Yeah, they don't give her much to do. I mean, the torch is almost pretty bad. The torch is just cars and girls. Like there isn't too much more for the torch. No. Uh, but, at but at least, least it's, he's it's paired up with the thing. He's at least also an active. Tr- his tropes are active. Her yeah. tropes are like staying home and being scared a lot of times. Yeah. Which take her out of the stories. Like, don't take her out I'll of the stories. The, Put her in the foreground. The best thing about having Sue uh, is that it 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 is a family. It's her husband. They have a baby during the course of the mm-hmm. comics. That is wild. Also, and having way ahead her, of where DC was, having her in the comic did force them to try to make her better, and slowly she yeah. became better and cooler. And now she is one of the cooler members of the team, uh, more one of the more fully realized Marvel characters, one of the better female characters in the Marvel universe. And that's you know, so at least they put her in the team to begin with. But yeah, yeah, yeah. if they'd written her better, she would have just hit that point sooner. Like she, she would have maybe not been left behind for Secret Wars. I think I mean she yeah, was pregnant right. then I, I think but uh um there's something realistic about a pregnant woman being left behind uh, sure. of course but like uh um I think also we read Fantastic Four right after reading the Ditko Spider-Man things and the Ditko Spider-Man ones were just they hold up better than the FF stuff yeah. in a lot of ways so 
I think we didn't re- we didn't remember that because we were seeing them both through the lens of our younger memories. And then I was like, oh, wow, a lot of this is really like uneven in Fantastic Four, although we still adore it. Um, I mean, Betty and Liz kind of went up and down on that stuff, but they at least stood up for themselves at times. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Even Gwen and Mary Jane were stronger characters, even if they were just sort of partiers at times. But, yeah, I think Um, it's an interesting question. There's no way to know for sure, but I, I for sure agree with you, Will, that I think. If they were written better, if anything, the comics would have sold better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Black Panther, a black superhero in those first FF appearances was written pretty well, I think. And like an interesting, great story. Mm -hmm. And uh, it stood the test of time uh, in part because it was launched so successfully. I think he should have been in more of the issues after that. I think he was a strong character. They didn't do enough with him. But that didn't hurt anything. Uh, You want some more? Yep. Great. It's a good question. Thank you for writing. Uh, Tree, uh, Tree Palmetto emails us. Hey, guys. Yeah. Parentheses. Is there a DC equivalent to milk sops and or panty wastes? I don't know. Uh, and I don't know of one. I'm, I don't think there's one that's over. Uh, Marvel had the benefit of only being written by one person. So the same insults <laughs> get used a lot. Yeah. Uh, DC didn't have that necessarily. Uh uh, I, like everyone, admire Mazzuchelli's work in year one. He seems to have had the craziest of careers, drawing two of the greatest superhero runs of all time, and then the experimental cartoon graphic novel Astros Polyp. Yeah. Uh, and then not much else. I know he's drawn other things here and there, but I can't think of anyone else who's made such an impact uh, on comics with so little output. Yeah. Um, and I can't either. Yeah, he did an indie series called Rubber Blanket that I sort of hunted down and are really lovely, beautifully drawn. And he adapted a novel called City of Glass by Paul Auster, and I read that adaptation, and it's really good. But yes, no, he's done very, very little. It's And he just teaches. It's strange. Yeah. Um, he, uh, uh, he wants to know what our ideal Batman is like, since we were just talking about Batman. There's so many variations, fun or brooding, yeah. solitary or lots of sidekicks, detective or knight of vengeance. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to answer that real quick, Will? Yeah, I am I, already more excited for your answer than mine. But I basically, I do not like full brooding. I like I like some fun and lightness in there. I like Batman and Robin. I like detective, super capable detective. But I like him getting beat up now and then. I like him getting over his head and having to have a sense of perspective about it. I kind of, you know what? I might like the Neil Adams Batman like that had a, the art was brooding and dark, but he himself seemed to be a real human being more. Yeah, he seemed almost like a man on the street. Yeah, at the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams time. I'm not sure who else wrote back then. Uh, I mean, I think what, one of the joys of Batman is that he is so malleable that you can do all these things with him, and it still feels like Batman. Um, but so, like my reaction, my answer to this question is almost like whatever they've been doing recently, I don't want any more of that. And the movies have been so dark for so long. Even if it's done really well, and this Matt Reeves trailer looks good, I'm sure it'll be a good movie. Uh, and I, I enjoyed, I even enjoyed Dark Knight Rising that everyone hated. Um, so I liked all the Christian Bale Batman movies. Um, but I'm sort of exhausted by the darkness of it. And I would prefer a Batman, like I just watched Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn movie. Yeah. I'd prefer something in that tone almost like just Batman and Robin and Nightwing and Batgirl. And I don't, I, I don't need all those, but it's like, I'd rather go too far that way. 
Yeah. Uh, and have a Batman sort of as a bat family guy. Um, but really, I think I've mentioned it briefly, maybe last podcast or the one before that. If I did a Batman movie, I'd want it to be Batman and Robin focusing on Robin in the foreground since he hasn't really been in any of the movies. A lot yeah. of Batman. This is not a Batman year one situation like, you know, 60, 40. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think like through that lens, I think you'd make Batman a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, he also mentioned that uh, there's announcement of new milestone comics because I had mentioned on a previous podcast how I think Static, who's a milestone character, uh, I'm amazed that that character doesn't isn't in a movie. Okay, uh, that isn't bigger. Um, I think Static is a really great character. Had a cartoon series for a while. Um, has a cool power set. Has a cool visual look, like riding around on a subway uh, lids, subway covers. Uh, he looks cool. He acts cool. He's a fun, fully realized character. And it's like, why isn't he in the Justice League? Why isn't he in a movie? Why isn't there a... Why isn't DC pushing out that movie? I think it's just because Warner Brothers doesn't know what they're doing. But they are now doing more Milestone comics. So at least Static is coming back in the comics to some degree or another. And there might be some legal reason that they don't use him as much. I don't know. But yeah, I am excited for those comics. And I hope they're good. Woohoo! Thank you, Tree. Thank you, Tree. Uh, let's do two or three more. Will. okay. Nick Wood emails us. Uh, I know you've done this for other franchises, but what would your ideal Batman movie be? We sort of answered that. People really like to ask about casting. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't ask about casting. At least I think people are learning that we're bad at that. (laughs) Unless you're, (laughs) I mean, I don't mind trying it unless you're making us cast from the Beatles. (laughs) Uh, would you rather pick another character in that universe? Uh, I've always been a Batman fan, but I didn't really get to know the extended characters until the video games and the new Harley Quinn show. Year one sounds amazing. It's made Batman begins make a lot more sense to me. Um, I do. I would rather see other characters just because there's so many Batman movies. I, I say this is a, which is crazy because there's also like a ton of Spider-Man movies and I'm always happy for another yeah. Spider-Man movie. Um, but I'm more excited about like a new character generally. Uh, if like there's yeah. never been again, there's never been a good Robin movie. So I'd love that. Um, I'd love a good Teen Titans movie. I just started reading new Titans, the Marv mm-hmm. Wolfman, George Perez, relaunch of those characters i've read the first two stories um because i never really read the old ones and the first issue is part of dc comic presents well so it's like there's like a green lantern story and then in the middle of it is this teen titans issue and then like the end of the green lantern story and the Mm -hmm. teen titan story partially because of george perez's art is so much more exciting than Mm. the comic that surrounds it i'm like oh of course this comic was a hit this is awesome Yeah. Uh, it's exciting. There's new characters. There's old characters. It's also drawn beautifully, but it just, it feels like it just comes out. It feels like the creators are excited about it versus the Green Lantern story, which just feels like I got to come up with a Green Lantern story. Um, um, in the wake of the success of the movie Joker, what Batman villain would you make a movie about? Oh, man. I don't want. And I'm going to take out Penguin and Riddler because they're too obvious. It would, and Catwoman, I think, too, right? Otherwise, it's Catwoman's the answer. Yeah. She's the easiest to do like a an, yeah. uh, sort of an anti-hero. Is it weird that they did one? Yeah. I mean, it was horrible, but a good Catwoman movie would be great, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, which villain? Uh, I don't, I have not much interest in any villain character as a solo character. I haven't seen the Joker movie. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it's sitting I'd on my DVR forever. I just am not excited about it. Mm, you uh, probably won't like it then. Yeah, I think I'll actually probably watch it and be like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> um, but I'm not excited to watch it. I, I did really enjoy it, but then my smart friends all told me that I was wrong and it's a bad movie. But I, I really enjoyed it when I watched it. So, um, But yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. So uh, as far as Batman villains go, I mean, Two-Face is probably, he's oh, the yeah. biggest character, uh, the DA aspect of him. Yeah, there's probably fun angles you can do there. Him trying to recover, maybe even almost like a little Dark Knight Returns arc. Yeah, I would do that. Okay, good, good answer. Uh, but Nick also sent us a trailer. Will, did you watch this trailer I sent you? I did. This was uh, like a trailer that mashed up all the earlier incarnations of the characters into like a fake Justice League trailer. Yeah. So like the Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, yeah. Christopher Reeve, Superman, Michael Keaton, Batman, and whatever that guy, what he did, Flash. On John TV. Wesley Ship, Flash, uh, all sort of mashed up into a trailer. And it's, you know, I don't know how well done it is. It's, it's, the it's shots when they're all to together is not great, but I loved it. <laughs> There's something fun about Kev, it. Kevin is, Kevin really loved it. Yeah. He's, um, yeah, the music's good. The, the The way the dialogue answers each other yeah. is really well chosen. It was it's really it worked way better than I thought it was going to when you told me what it was. Just seeing like Christopher Reeve and Michael Keaton play off each other, and then also it's like a younger Christopher Reeve that makes no sense. But yeah. it, it's it's like oh, you know what this would have been cool if you could have somehow gotten this. Yeah. Um, even though I don't necessarily, th- I think Michael Keaton was great. I don't necessarily think of him as like an iconic Batman, but Christopher Reeve is so iconic as Superman. Yes. Getting to see him play off of any other superhero would be very exciting to me, I think. Yeah. And Linda Carter still looks like Wonder Woman in those shots. It's like, even with uh, yeah. the new movies. So it's fun. I like stuff like that. I don't know who has the patience to make them, but they are out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's do one more. So we'll have more um, Batman-related questions next episode because I st- we've still got a backlog. And hey, you can keep emailing us Batman questions. I don't care. Um... Someone sent us an Avengers International lineup, and I think it's a pretty fun one. Okay. So Avengers International, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, is taking the Avengers characters but making it like a Justice League International sort of comedic superhero team. So this guy's lineup is The Vision, which I think we also did in sort of a Martian Manhunter role. Yes. A Black Widow, which I think we also did in sort of a Batman role. Uh, but he puts in his Max Lord role, and you're going to love this well, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, yeah. That's really funny. Um, Rick Jones in sort of a uh, Oberon role. Oh, yeah. That's really smart. Uh, this is also, I think, a really good choice. Hercules? Oh, right. Hercules. I forgot about him. Hercules is a, a no-brainer now that I've read it. I'm just like, well, I can't believe that didn't he's come so up. He's so funny. He's and already he's a funny character. Yeah, that's a really good pick. His, yes, we were dumb for not thinking of Hercules. Uh, he had a... Uh, an ongoing series called the incredible Hercules that sort of replaced the Hulk briefly. That was so good and so fun. And he was just such a funny character. It's like, of course he should be in this version. A uh, Namor. Oh, and sort right. Of a guy that's Gardner fun. role. And it's like, yeah, that's also perfect. Also really good. He's so much better at this than we are. Yeah. Hawkeye, which we came up with as well. So he either uses the ones we did or improves on almost everything. Uh, Wonder Man, and I, I don't remember if we said Wonder Man or not. We may have danced did it. around you it. Said, you said him at one point, or you pitched him, you soft-pitched him. Yeah, uh, and I think that works. He, he puts him in the Booster Gold-like role. Uh, mm-hmm. Monica Rambeau, sort of the Captain Marvel of the 80s. 
Okay. Um, sort of in the uh, uh, fire role is what he's saying. Silverclaw, a character I don't think you've ever heard of. Uh, in the I ice role. Uh, but I know her. She was from the Kurt Busick era. Um, nice. But I think that's a really good lineup. This is from Peter Donatich. Uh, and I think that's the best Avengers lineup I've heard so far. Well, uh, I approve. Okay. This guy's better than we are. I mean, the Thank J. Jonah Jameson, Hercules, and Namor alone. Oof. Uh, it's just like, it'd be really fun to have J. Jonah Jameson in charge of superheroes. His hatred of superheroes maybe would make it a weird mix, <laughs> but maybe would make it brilliant. <laughs> His arrogance, if he picked it, he'd be all right with it. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, I'm in charge. Finally, we'll get it right. Maybe <laughs> something really fun about that. Maybe it's just they both smoke cigars, Max Lord and J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, anyway, we got a bunch more emails, but oh, we'll get to those. Uh, How about one more? Let's one do more? one more. Will can't help himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. This one is from uh, Noel Tate, who I think has either emailed us before. I think is emailed. Sounds familiar. Us, uh, just finishing your Batman Year One coverage. It's one of the few Batman stories I own. I'm a huge Moon Knight fan. I was told a little while ago to pick up Year One if I was a fan of the more gothic noir comics. Uh, question: Do you think the earlier Bill Sinkiewicz, Doug Monick? I don't know. I'm, I'm mispronouncing that. Moon Knight, uh, who's often compared to Batman, as well as the more Miller's own gritty late 70s and 80s Marvel stuff, helped influence Miller and DC editors to ground Batman's origin. So do you think Moon Knight sort of weirdly, even though he sort of was a Batman-ish character, inspired Batman? Um, I don't think so, because... The grounding happened from Frank Miller, and I think Miller had his Batman plans for years and years before he did them. Yeah. And I think Daredevil was a trial run of stuff that he wanted to do. So I think he kind of had a feel for it already. There might have been a particular thing or two. And, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz's art was really influential, but... I also don't think Moon Knight... I think think Moon Knight was well-liked, but I don't think it was like a huge smash hit. Maybe it was. Yeah. Moon Knight looked cool. I used to always love the yeah. look of Moon Knight, but I don't think I read him yeah. very often. I'm more aware of like James DeMatteis did a run on it at some point, and, uh, but I never read much of it. I'm not a huge Moon Knight fan either, so maybe that's also playing into my answer. But it's also hard to imagine anything having that big an influence on Batman other than like Batman himself. I like this. This is the kind of hot take I like, though, Noel. Yeah. Now, if you can somehow tie that into Ditko being credited for year one, I'm all in on it. <laughs> <laughs> like if Moon Knight was inspired by Ditko somehow, then that makes year one directly responsible and credited to Steve Ditko. And then, then you got me. Um, that's it. We'll enter the rest next week. Uh, but if you want to email us, email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Uh, talk about yes. Sandman. You can talk about Batman. Talk about comics. You can talk about uh, Will's Morpheus character. We don't care. <laughs> Uh, just talk to us. We're lonely. We're in quarantine still. Uh, we want to hear from you. Um, we have an Instagram that is Screw It Comics, um, which Kevin will do like sh- pictures of the comics we're talking about. And then there's also Screw It Recent, which is just comics that Kevin's reading for fun. And we still have our old Screw It Spidey Instagram. And, um, and we also have a Twitter account, Screw It Comics. So just to recap, our email, Screw It Spidey at Gmail. Instagram and Twitter, screw it comics. Those are the main ones. Yep. Uh, So check all those things out and then come back next week for issue 13 of Sandman. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Screw it, screw it, just screw it.
Comics. My name is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.